Well, Pastor Adam's going to kind of take that video as a bit of a background, and he's going to take us to the scripture this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about faith and trust and wisdom and all of those good things. Uh, but let me pray for Pastor Adam, and then collectively, I'd love us to read the scripture together. It's very short this morning. Some of you have already memorized it, I'm sure. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this text in front of us today. And uh, Lord, I thank you for your servant, Pastor Adam. Uh, Lord, I know that he has come before you often this week to ask for your leadership on this text. So I pray that you would illuminate his heart and his mind as he speaks. I pray for the release of your Holy Spirit in each of our lives uh, to trust you, to trust you even when it's very, very challenging. Uh, so minister to us this morning. Use your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, and it's on the screen. So let's read it together. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I just want to reiterate what uh, Pastor Quinn was saying about our Tuesday night study, uh, God's Big Picture. It's, it's such a great time. We're two weeks into the study, but what I love about this study, God's Big Picture, is that uh, you can come at any point. So if you've missed weeks and you're not sure what it's all about, um, that's okay. Uh, at any point you come on a Tuesday night, it's just a great time to study the Bible with one another as well as um, get to know some people that maybe you don't know at church already. So I would like to invite you out to that 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights. Yeah, let's get into our, our text this morning. Uh, school is well underway. Uh, do you guys remember your favorite part of elementary school? Anyone? Favorite part? Recess, right? Recess was your favorite part of elementary school. A funny story about uh, a school at recess. A group of kids had gathered together wanting to play soccer. And uh, there's this one boy named Eddie. And Eddie's very good at soccer. And so the game gets going and they're watching, the teachers are watching this game take place. And sure enough, Eddie is out there. And every time he takes the ball on the offense, he gets close to the net, he shoots, he scores. Over and over again. If Eddie had the ball, he was controlling the game. Um, the other team only scored the times that Eddie let them. He was just this remarkable, remarkable player. Well, after a bit of time, the recess bell goes, and, and the teacher looks out. She sees that Eddie has the ball, and she calls out, next goal wins. But then Eddie doesn't score. Eddie passes the ball. And uh, the other team has the ball. They're taking it down the court. The teacher's like, oh, that's weird. Oh, he'll get it right away. And the other team's going down, and, and Eddie runs down, and he steals the ball from them and runs back up. He doesn't shoot. He passes. 
This goes on for a little while, and the teacher's like, Eddie, what are you doing? He said, well, you said that the game would be over and recess would be over when the team scored, and as long as we don't score, if I play for both teams, recess will go on and on and on. Funny story. He's a smart kid. Last week we read in James that when we face troubles and hardships of various kinds, that uh, we're to go through those in such a way and endure them so that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's quite a a call, isn't it? It's the same call that uh, the Apostle Paul gave to young pastor Timothy, and he was talking about the importance of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. He says that the scripture is supposed to do a work in our lives and train us up in such a way that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When Jesus was teaching on the scene in, in John chapter 10, he makes this declaration that he had come that we may have life abundantly. This picture of completeness and wholeness. And we hear that. And we're like, yes, I, I want that. But man, how am I supposed to get there? How am I supposed to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? No one's perfect. Jesus in the Beatitudes makes that proclamation as well. Be perfect as my Father is is perfect. And it's almost as if James anticipates this question when we get into our passage this morning. Because he's just told us that we are to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he gets into his teaching. If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack, But it's funny when I think about this, because I wonder how often I'm like that little kid, Eddie, playing soccer. You know, if if life is the game, and the objective for me in my Christian walk is that I would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I show up to the field, I'm excited, I lace up my cleats, I get out there, I see the goal. I want to be more like Jesus, I want to live for God, and I get going. And let's say that it's, I understand that I need to spend time with God. to to advance in my relationship with him. So I set time aside, but I go to take that shot, I go to make that goal, and suddenly other things come up, competing priorities. I'm not spending time with God. Or or maybe it's in my life, I want relational wholeness. I want to be in good standing with, with my friends, with my family, but over and over again, maybe I'm choosing unforgiveness and bitterness over forgiveness. And in my relationship with God and my relationship with others, suddenly I'm working against myself. Like Eddie playing on both teams, I find myself playing on both teams in my own life. Making the game go on and on. Keeping me from realizing this perfection, this completeness, this lacking in nothing. How about you? You desire this. Do you find yourself like me? Maybe playing on both teams in your own life. In our passage this morning, James is teaching us that having a divided loyalty keeps us from walking in the life that Jesus has for us. Last last week we read about this and, and we get to this. And this morning, James is continuing in this thought. Assuming this question, how am I to be perfect, James? And he answers that right away. Well, if you lack wisdom, you need wisdom. You want to be able to navigate the troubles in life? You want to be able to to live this life that God has called you to live? Well, you need wisdom. 
know, when we think wisdom in our culture, maybe we get this picture of a, a guru sitting in a corner somewhere, dishing out all this great advice. Well, when we read scripture, that's not what wisdom is about. We understand that um, biblical wisdom is having practical skills associated with understanding and living a successful life. It's the ability to apply knowledge. So we can read our Bibles and grow in our knowledge of God. We can read about what it looks like to, to navigate troubles in life. We can read about all these things that God has for us in His Word. But to apply those things takes wisdom. And James is telling us that when we're facing these trials of various kinds, to be successful in that, we need wisdom. In this text, he's teaching us that navigating troubles, moving toward completeness, requires that we are undivided. Requires that we are undivided. Which takes wisdom for us to be there. We're going to talk this morning about three ways that James is teaching us that we are to be undivided. The first is that we're to be undivided in action. Undivided in action. If you need wisdom... Ask your generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now again, our context, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What do you do when you face trials of various kinds? What do you do when you're up against it in life? When maybe you get a diagnosis from a doctor that you weren't expecting. Or a friend is sick. Maybe you're dealing with financial, financial troubles, relational troubles. Trials come our way in various shapes and, and forms and sizes. Pastor Ken talked about that last week. But what do you do when it happens? Well, I think that there's, there's four possible reactions. There's, there's various things that we do when trials come our way. Some of us attack the problem. We attack the problem. You know, if, if you're like me, this is what you do. This is this idea of, I see a problem, it's coming at me. Okay, I'm going to do everything in my power to get rid of the problem. I'm going to do everything in my power to get rid of this trouble. I don't want to deal, I don't want it to mess with my life, so I'm just going to deal with it. It's this idea of controlling and, and taking charge of the situation. Others of us do the opposite. We run from the problem. So a trial comes our way and we don't want to deal with it. It's too much. I don't want this thing to, to get in the way of my life, and I, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. So we avoid it. Maybe the avoidance goes a little too far to some unhealthy coping mechanisms. Maybe it's in substance abuse. Maybe it's a simple coping mechanism of just, I'm just going to sit on the TV and, and sit on the couch and watch TV so I don't have to think about all these problems in my life. life. We avoid it. Thirdly, I think some of us will enlist others. So trouble comes our way and we get into this posture. I just, I need to tell everyone about this. I need to get help. So you run person to person. Maybe you run to the internet. Maybe you run to different resources, doing everything you can to, to get advice on the problem. We attack the problem. We run from the problem. We enlist others' perspective on the problem. And these three things in and of themselves, aren't necessarily bad. Sometimes it's very appropriate and good for us to, to grab a problem and, and figure it out and wrestle, th wrestle through it. Other times it's good for us to step back from a problem, take time to think about it. 
And at other times, it's very important that we seek counsel and advice. But what's interesting to me is that when James says, if any of you lack wisdom, he's not saying attack at the problem. He's not saying run from the problem. He's not saying enlist others' perspective on the problem. Instead, he's saying, if any of you lack wisdom, pray. You need to pray. And that's, that's the fourth one. We need to pray. He writes, if you're lacking wisdom, pray. Prayer should be our reaction to trouble. You know, it's so easy for us to overlook prayer. If, if you're anything like me, if you grew up in the church, you've been hearing your entire life the importance of prayer. That we need to be praying. We talk about prayer a lot in our church, in our context here. But it's so easy not to pray. We hear the instruction to prayer and we say, yeah, 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 I get it. I know I need to pray. But are you praying? Are you praying? James goes on to tell us why we should pray. Why should we choose this action? He says that we can have confidence in running to God in prayer because of who he is. He is generous and non-rebuking. We can have confidence in prayer and we should pray because of who God is. Because of who He is. James highlights for us the characteristic of God's generosity. Something that we read about in in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount after He teaches them how to pray. He, He writes, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give give good things to those who ask him? God is a generous God. He wants to give. Secondly, he's without rebuke. God desires our growth and success. He doesn't look down on us when we pray and say, What? You need help again? Really? No, God doesn't say that. He's eager to supply to us the wisdom that we need to navigate our trials so that we may better walk with him. So we can pray with this confidence and assurance in who God is, that he is generous. And without rebuke. When troubles and trials come our way. We face a temptation. How are we going to react? How am I going to deal with this? James tells us the first thing we need to do. Is stop and pray. Be undivided in our action of prayer. Then he goes on to say that our very prayers need to be undivided. Be undivided in your prayer. James invites us to be undivided in prayer by praying in faith. He says, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. When I read this passage, I really hone in on this word faith. Faith. We're supposed to pray in faith. And when I think about the word faith, I, I think that it's easily become for us in, our, in Christianity um, a word that just means being Christian. I have faith. I, I am a Christian. I am a believer. 
Or beyond that, we hear the word faith and we think that faith is an adherence to a certain set of beliefs. So you might say, I am a person of faith. And in terms of our English language, that works. That makes sense. That's how we communicate that word to one another. But we translate the word faith from the Greek pistis. And theologians look at this idea of pistis or faith as, as having three components to it. Knowledge, agreement, and acknowledgement. And I have this chair up here, and I've kept most of your attention because I have this chair and you're sitting here saying, why is there a chair on the stage? I'm going to use this to demonstrate this idea. Um, so these three elements of faith. The first is knowledge. So faith begins by hearing about something. So you tell me, Adam, this is a chair. I say, yeah, okay, that's a chair. It has four legs, it has a back, and it should hold your weight. It has this place for you to sit down. So you've communicated to me information about this chair. And I listen to you and I say, okay, okay, yeah, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you. The second part of faith is the agreement. That what you've said, I have to agree that it's true. So I look at this and I examine it. Well, you told me that a chair is four legs, so I see four legs. You told me a chair has a back, I see a back. And you told me that a chair it has a place for me to sit and it should be able to hold my weight. So I have knowledge and I have agreement, the first two parts of faith. There's a third part, though, uh, which is acknowledgement, which is basically me accepting what you've said as truth and choosing to sit down on the chair. And I can sit down and say, oh, you were right. This is indeed a chair. It holds my weight. But the acknowledgement of it, my experience of it, demonstrates that I actually have faith that this is a chair. Without me sitting on the chair... You couldn't say that I have faith in the chair because I'm not willing to put myself in a situation where I'm testing whether or not the information that you've given me is true. I want to suggest for us that for many of us in our journey of faith, in our relationships with God, we hear a lot about God and maybe we even agree that it's true, but many of us struggle to sit down on the chair. Many of us struggle to put our trust in the chair, to actually trust that it's going to hold us. My New Testament prof in my undergraduate studies taught, taught our class that perhaps bringing these thoughts about what faith is, knowledge, agreement, and acknowledgement, into our modern use of words, that we might better translate the Greek word pistis to be trust. That when we read in Scripture the word faith, that we should substitute it for the word trust. Which would change our reading this morning to say, but when you ask, be sure that your trust is in God alone. And when I hear that, I think, man, that word trust, it hits me a bit harder than the word faith. Because when you tell me to trust something, it it demands, it demands something on me, doesn't it? It demands me to actually sit down in this chair. And trust that it's going to hold me. That's a difficult, difficult thing. Like that video we just watched. You know, that that woman is willing to fall back into Jesus' arms. She knows that he's right there. But then he asks her to do something that she thinks is way outside of her comfort zone. Like, no, I, I I don't trust you. I don't trust you in that. But James is teaching us that our prayers... Our prayers need to be prayers that 
trust Jesus. It's acknowledging that he, he's in control of the situation. It's acknowledging that like, he sees the situation that we're in. It's believing that God can act. But then we need to engage in trusting that he will. The contrast to trust, trusting God is doubting him. So perhaps we have knowledge that God will help. Maybe we agree with that knowledge. But it comes to trust and there's, there's just no way. This is the type of doubt that James is talking about in this passage. Prayers of doubt are cheap prayers. They're uttered for the sake of praying. But not truly believing that God will act. You know, this is to pray yet follow through in trying to vigorously control a situation. Or trying to unhealthily cope with a situation. Continuing to enlist people to help you in your problem. Where as if the prayer didn't mean anything. It's, it's praying to God for answers, but not even pausing for a second to listen to hear whether or not God will speak. Have you ever done that? I know I've done that. You spend this time praying, seeking direction from God. Saying, God, I really need your wisdom. I need your advice. I need your help. But as soon as I say amen, I'm gone. And I'm off trying to fix the problem. I don't pause for even a second to hear what God might have to say. In this passage, James is concerned about duplicity. He's he's concerned about us praying in one way, then acting another way. Duplicity makes claims or states a resolve, but will not follow through with that. Characteristically, James says that having having this duplicity is like being a wave of the sea. A wave of the sea that is continually, is continually a victim of circumstance. It's tossed around by the wind. But James is teaching us that when we don't trust Jesus, that we become like these waves. A victim of our circumstance. Tossed around. James highlights for us that because of this doubt, we are unable to receive what God is eagerly wanting to give us. Remember what he said, that God is generous and non-rebuking. When we come to him asking for wisdom, God is eager and excited to, to answer that prayer. But when our prayer is filled with doubt, we don't even give God a chance to give us what we're asking for. We don't sit long enough to receive from him what he has for us. See, friends, God desires to meet us in our suffering. When we're facing those trials of various kinds, God desires to be present with us. He desires to bless us with wisdom and guidance that we require in navigating difficult hardships. God desires that we move towards being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But doubt... Doubt keeps us from experiencing this. Because in one way, the way of prayer, we posture ourselves like having hands open before God. And we pray and we bring Him our request. But as soon as we say amen, we close our hands and walk away. We turn quickly as if we never expected Him to answer in the first place. Now this passage also brings up an issue in relation to healing and prayer. And the question that naturally emerges is, well, 
when I pray for healing and God doesn't heal, am I lacking in faith? Am I not trusting God enough? You know, many of you this morning, I know, are dealing with diagnoses and you're praying for healing. Others of you have loved ones who are, who are struggling with sickness and again, you're praying for healing. Some of you haven't experienced the healing that you've been asking God for. So what do we do with this reality? Well, first of all, in this passage, James isn't addressing prayers of healing specifically. And he does that later on. He does that in James chapter 5. So to look at this specific passage and say that it has to do with specifically with healing is to take this passage out of context. But besides that, secondly... Prayer is not a magic formula. Prayer is not a magic formula that we can use to try to control God. It's as if to say, if I have enough faith and enough trust, I can force God's hand to work in this situation and do exactly what I want Him to do. No. That's not what prayer is about. Rather, prayer provides... For us, a way in which we can commune with God and walk with Him in the midst of trouble. Notice James does not say in this passage that the trouble goes away. I find that very interesting. He's not saying pray and then your troubles are gone. No, he's saying if you lack wisdom in dealing with this trouble, pray. God is eagerly wanting to answer that prayer for wisdom. He wants to be with you in this struggle. He wants to help you navigate this trouble. He wants to come alongside you in your suffering if you'll let him. God wants to bless you in the midst of that. Our prayer also, it takes us to God. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our doubt, when we're brought to God in our prayers, we will see that he is a good, good father. That no matter the outcome of our circumstances, God remains unchanging. He is all loving, all good. When we don't understand what we're going through, the invitation is to take the questions that we have to God, to take our doubt to God, to meet with God in the midst of our struggles. And in this, we have a profound opportunity for joy. A profound opportunity for joy. So our prayer is to be undivided so that when we pray for wisdom, we follow through in waiting for wisdom. We pray for direction and we follow through in looking to God for direction, which might mean just sitting and listening. It might mean going to God's word and and reading what God has to say about whatever situation you're finding yourself in. Some of you might hear this and say, I just, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I encourage you to sign up for a Hearing God seminar where we look into this whole idea of of hearing from God and and we look into this whole idea of strengthening our prayer lives. So I encourage you to sign up for that if that's a struggle for you. We pray for comfort. We need to choose to see God's presence and the love that God has for us. We need to choose to let God's people, His community, surround us. In all of this, it requires waiting. Having undivided prayers requires waiting. It requires time. It causes us to look at our knee-jerk reactions and say, no, before I'm going to take control of this, before I'm going to maybe avoid it, 
before I'm going to run and ask 100 people what their advice is, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to wait for His wisdom. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek Him. I'm going to read His Word. Because I believe He wants to answer. I believe He wants to answer. James goes on in this passage to say that we need to also be undivided in our lives. Talking about the people who are divided, who are like the wave of the sea, he says that their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything that they do. James takes his point of duplicity to its logical application. Beyond receiving from what God has asked for, to how duplicity in our Christian lives negatively affects everything that we do. Everything that we do. If we were to read this passage in the ESV, it would read that he is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. This word divided loyalty in the NLT um, is the word that is translated in the ESV to double-minded. And double-minded is a more literal form of the Greek Uh, And it means that you are inclined toward opposing ideologies, which is interesting. So not simply double-minded being that you're weak in your faith, but double-minded, not simply weak in faith, but willingly embracing the way of righteousness, while also willingly embracing the way of unrighteousness. That's a really troubling thing to read, isn't it? So on one hand, it's, yeah, like, I want to live for God. I want to do what God has called me to do. But you look over and you see other people living a different way. And as inclined as you are to live for God and do what He's called you to do, you also feel just as inclined to live the other way. And your disposition to the two is equal, which causes you, as James says, to be unstable in all of your ways. This warning from James is a call for us to keep it real. To keep it real. It's what our series is about. You know, James is writing to a group of Christians that is is facing trouble and persecution because of their faith. What's the easy thing to do in the midst of this trouble? Well, it's to, I'm not one of those Christians. That's not me. You know, it's like, well, I just, I profess Christianity, but I don't really live that way, so, so don't worry about it. There are so many opportunities for the people that James is writing to, to avoid trouble. Because the trouble was coming to them because of their faith. So the temptation became, well, I'll worship with my friends at our church service on Sunday, but the rest of the week, I don't want anyone to know I'm a Christian. There's a problem there. That's the duplicity that James is talking about. And he's writing to this church telling them that they need to keep it real. Be authentic. Worship God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let the faith that you practice on Sunday be the same faith you practice Monday through Saturday. Live in such a way where being Christian truly means something. Live in a posture of trust. Make up your mind that God is good and that He has good things in store, even in the midst of trouble and persecution. I believe that the journey away from duplicity begins by actively trusting. The journey away from duplicity begins by actively trusting. It's trusting that God's ways are better than the world's ways. It's trusting that what we read in God's word isn't simply outdated and not relevant for today. 
But it's reading it and, and believing that God's word is sufficient, that it has something to say to us in 2018, and that, that we can get God's heart by reading his word. It's by trusting that, that he is good, that his ways are, are better than the world's, that his ways are, are better than even our ways. It's trusting that God is in control. It's trusting that God will provide. Again, all of this takes time. Slowing down. Coming before God. Saying to God, you know God, this trial that I'm going through, I don't think it's going to be okay. I don't think I'm going to make it through this one, Jesus. Being honest with him about that and saying, Jesus, help me to trust you in the midst of this situation. Help me to trust you in this circumstance. Lord, it's coming to him and and being honest about the struggle you have to trust. It's saying, God, I have friends and family who, they don't follow you. They make it difficult for me at times. I want to live for you, but I feel all this pressure to live another way. Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. What does James promise us? That if any of us lacks wisdom, that when we pray, God is eager, He's generous to give to us what we need without reproach. This passage is calling us to live undivided. Be undivided in our action and what we do, to, to pray prayers that are undivided, that our lives would be undivided in our practice the things we do day-to-day lives in our day-to-day lives would be undivided we stop working against our journey in faith in being perfect and complete and lacking nothing when we pursue lives of truly trusting god undivided in our action our prayer and our living let's pray together father god we thank you for this letter that james wrote to these churches god People struggling to keep it real. People struggling to to maybe see you in the midst of their circumstances. Lord, in so many ways, we are not that different today. Struggling to keep it real. Struggling to see you in the midst of difficult circumstances. Jesus, my prayer for myself and, and for all of us this morning is that we would be people who trust in you. Lord, and trust is a difficult thing because it, it puts on us this, this, this sense of it's going to cost us something. It's going to pull us maybe out of our comfort zone. It's going to cause us to maybe do things that we don't want to do or we don't feel comfortable with. But Jesus, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to be a people who trust you. Not people who just say that we have faith in Jesus, but who live trusting you, who live out this faith. So Lord, we, we need your help to do that. So I pray, Jesus, that you would help us. I pray that you would keep us from being people who are tossed by the wind and unstable in all of our ways, Lord. Help us to be undivided. It's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.